This talk, Reading in the Younger Years, is presented by Marianne Galeski. Marianne has been part of the Veritas community since the school's founding and is a mother and a teacher. She is also a certified Orton Gillingham tutor. Enjoy. Okay, my name is Marianne Galeski. I teach first grade and I've gotten to be a part of the school since year one. And God has just been so good to me in that, just to see it grow from an itty bitty tiny school into what it is today and his faithfulness and goodness along the way. Um, and just all that I've learned in teaching students and teaching my own children and raising my family, um, it's been a huge gift. And um, one thing I think Veritas does well is really invest in the teachers. And so a few years ago, I can't remember how many years ago it was, but um, they sent a couple teachers to go um, do a 30-hour class in Raleigh or in Gillingham. And then I got to do a year-long apprenticeship um, to study it further. And then just the past three years, um, studying and studying and reading a lot about the science of reading. And so I love it. <laughs> and I love to read about it and learn about it. But in by no means an expert. And so Norrie's talk this morning just soothed my little soul about um, not needing to act like I know everything or just be humble and share what I do know. So um, we'll go ahead and get started. Um, and again, I'm a mom, a co-teacher, and a first grade teacher, and then I'm presenting today with Lauren Taylor, who teaches kindergarten, and Maddie Wortman, who teaches second. Okay, so you may not be aware, but currently there's a literacy crisis in our country. 32% of fourth graders in our nation read well, 34% um, test below proficiency, and 34% of our fourth grade students cannot read. An astounding 69% of our eighth grade students are reading below grade level. This is impacting our high school graduates and our workforce. When we look at juveniles in the court systems, 85% are illiterate, and 50% of the chronically unemployed and 60% of um, inmates are also illiterate. So our low literacy rates impact our society in a myriad of ways. And um, if you just think about it, if you can't read well, think about going through school, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, middle school, you still can't read well. No one's giving you the code to decode words well. You're going to suffer across the board in every single subject. You need to be able to read to read math instructions. You have to be able to read to study biology and the sciences, those really challenging multi-syllabic words, you know? So um, it's so sad to me that um, a lot of schools are not teaching reading well. Prior to the 1920s, reading was taught in a systematic manner with students spelling their way into reading. Um, a dramatic shift occurred during the educational reform movements in the 1920s and 1930s. Rather than beginning to teach um, reading with sounds and then using the sounds to build words, educators began with whole words. So think about your Dick and Jane books. Um, that maybe your grandparents or parents learned to read with. This became known as the look-say method. Students were required to memorize words as individual word pictures, also known as sight words. And during this period, literacy rates plummeted, leading to the second reform movement, whole language. And the developers of this reform believed that learning to read was like learning to speak. Children who were surrounded with good books would naturally develop a love for reading and with minimal guidance be able to read. So this was also a disaster. <laughs> Despite lower literacy rates, both of these reforms have continued to influence how we teach students to read in English across our nation and around the world. Um, there's tons of literature on this subject. Um, I really love this book, The Logic of English, and I'm really paraphrasing a lot from this book today in my talk. Um, and then in one of your sheets, there's a list of resources to um, read further or listen to this podcast called Sold a Story, and you'll get hooked. You'll want to take a deep dive after that. So um, people, and what's interesting is that people who are skilled readers rely heavily on an area of their brain which is used for speech and auditory processing. When struggling readers attempt to read, their brains show inactivity in this critical auditory region. But with as little as eight weeks of intensive phonics training, the brains of struggling students begin to develop, 
and previously inactive areas begin to function like those of good readers. Our brains are wired to learn, and it's through solid multisensory phonics instruction that our brains develop neural pathways for reading. Okay, um, first I want to break a common myth about the English language. At the level of the written word, English is one of the most complex languages in the world. However, it's not illogical. Due to the complexity of our language, many English speakers don't know the basic building blocks, the sounds, the corresponding written expressions, and the spelling rules that go with them. But it's just a fixed number of rules that unlocks the mystery of 98% of English words. Um, so 98% of English words follow a logical spelling pattern that can be decoded easily if you have a solid foundation in phonics. Learning these spelling and reading rules helps develop logic and higher order thinking skills. And when students learn to think systematically about English, our complex language, not only do they um, enhance their English language skills, but they also gain strategies by which to master foreign languages. We're setting them up for success in grades K through two so that they'll be ready for Latin in third and any other languages they wanna study in the future. So it's just learning 74 phonograms and 31 spelling rules that's the most effective um, route to mastering English or efficient route to mastering English. Um, there's more than two million words in the English lexicon. Most adults are only using about 40 to 60,000 words um, when they speak you know, just their everyday speech. But a highly educated individual will know around 200,000 words. Um, the 74 phonograms help us to decode 98% um, of English words and only 2% of English words are outliers. We can study those outliers and learn why they're spelled the way they are by looking up the etymology or the origin of the word. Um, so this is a book I use a lot in my classroom. It's called Once Upon a Word, and it's just a word origin dictionary. Um, and I'll go over more when I do a little session about my first grade classroom and how I teach lead words or sight words um, and talk about that more a little bit later. But this is just so fun, too, to build vocabulary. And a lot of times I'll just do one word a day, and, and it tells us what part of speech it is and where uh, the word was derived from and just makes our language, learning about our language more fun. So um, English isn't weird, it's just a history lesson. Engl and that's from a lady who called Laura Loves Teaching. We're gonna watch a little video from her in a minute. But um, English is a combination of languages. England's location and history of occupation play a significant role in the development of modern day English. So bear with me, I'm gonna try to play a video and it is from TikTok. <laughs> so don't judge me too harshly. Hopefully it works. <laughs> oh, it's playing, sorry. And I'm gonna go back in time and talk about our language, our amazing English language. For many years, I've wanted to make great sense of this, and I'm to a point where I think I can kind of explain it. But before we understand anything, I want you to know that the Celts, known as the Britons, lived in what we know as England around 1000 BC. But then the Roman Empire conquered it and moved in for a while, bringing in their Latin language. But once Rome left, there was a power vacuum, and that's when the Germanic tribes, the Anglos and the Saxons came in, and they brought their language with them. And this is when the name changed, Angleland, to England. Also during this time, the Vikings were in England and brought some of their words over as well. Then in 1066, William the Conqueror came over and invaded England and brought about 10,000 French words with him. French was the dominant language for a couple hundred years, but English managed to stay alive and keep French from fully taking over. Well, during the Renaissance years, there was a great increase in Latin influence, Romance languages, and a Greek classical revival. Also during this time, we have the printing press, so things are written down, and we have Shakespeare. 
who coined about 1,700 words, and we still use about half of them. And then we have two fellas, Johnson and Webster, who were really interested in spelling reform. From what I understand, spelling was kind of hodgepodge until these two men urged spelling reform and got dictionaries written. Whew, so there you have it. My attempt at explaining our amazing language. Reading Rockets calls it a layer cake. So here you have it. And each layer is so fascinating in and of itself. I hope this inspires you to take a bite out of English. Okay. Thank you. I love her so much and her enthusiasm for English language and phonics. And uh, I watch all her little videos. Okay. So what do current researchers think about how reading develops? While our brains are wired for spoken language and we learn to speak through exposure, we must be taught how to read. Learning how to read is much more complex than learning how to speak, and it involves more areas of our brain. It does not come naturally to most children. Explicit instruction is required. Reading instruction changes our brain structure and how they work. Once we learn to read, we can't turn it off. Our brains automatically process print that we see with no conscience effort on our part. Do you have a question? Oh, here. I thought you were answering. Oh, I was just. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Well, so neuroscientists believe it has to do with evolution. So humans have been around for 1.7 million years. If you believe in evolution and but we've only been reading print for about 5,000 years so but even if you don't believe that theory almost every neuroscientist does um, believe and I checked with Dr. Paul Lopin who's a parent <laughs> and just some of our science um, and he was like yes this is good sound science about the different areas of our brain um, that we use when we're reading so um, but when we read, our brains transform the shapes of letters and characters on a page into the sounds of spoken language. And how can we purposely create these new neural pathways to help our brains learn to read written words? And it's through a structured literacy program, through a strong foundation in phonics and spelling rules. All right, so we're going to just look at what is structured literacy. Um, structured literacy instruction is systematic and cumulative. Systematic means that the organization of material follows the logical order of the language. The sequence must begin with the easiest and most basic concepts and elements, progress methodically to more difficult concepts and elements. Cumulative means that each step must be based on concepts previously learned. Um, and we use All About Reading at our school and All About Spelling, and you will see it is very se sequential and built, and we review, review, review until you're just so sick of reviewing your bedroom cards and word cards. Um, so and then also our instruction is explicit, okay? We're not just hoping children will um, learn what our controlled vowels are just by hearing us read a book. We're gonna go specifically over each our controlled vowel and what a magic E does at the end of a word. Um, so our instruction is very explicit over each rule and spelling rule. Um, and then uh, multi-sensory. Multi-sensory instruction is a way of teaching that engages more than one sense at a time. Using sight, hearing, movement, and touch gives kids more than one way to connect with what they're learning. Alright, to grow a competent skilled reader, we focus on five parts. And we are going to watch, uh, which is just phonological awareness, phonics, fluency, vocabulary, and comprehension. And we're going to watch one more video in a minute that's going to review all those things. So I won't go over each of those right now. Okay. All right. If you guys have been around Veritas for any length of time, you've heard John McCord say, repetition is the mother of memory. He also loves 10,000 times and then begins understanding. And so just repetitions matter for our young children. I think sometimes we forget because we are no longer consciously having to work to read. We're just unaware. Our brain just does it. But it is such hard work for our young children um, to decode words, to remember all those letter-sound relationships, and then blend them together to tackle multisyllabic words. It is 
it's like me trying to learn Latin. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> so um, I just want to point out that repetitions, um, how many repetitions most students need to master new reading rules and to be able to map words um, so that they're able to read by sight. It is completely normal for children to not be reading fluently in K-5 and first. Um, we hope to progress in fluency during the second half of first grade, but we're definitely not expecting any fluent readers to come in our classrooms in first grade. Um, God's been so kind to me in my experiences while teaching my oldest two children to read. My firstborn, it was like learning, just breathing for her. I mean, we taught her her letter sounds, which was easy. And then we taught her how to decode cat, dog, few words, and it was like she just moved on to chapter books. It truly felt effortless. <laughs> and, I, and I thought to myself, oh, maybe it's because I read her so many books when she was a baby. No, it wasn't. Because I did that with my second, and she did not have the same experience when learning to read. Um, so learning to read's been a real struggle for her. So thankful for the training I've gotten. Um, but yeah, even she had Sharon Griffin last year, and I would say, Sharon, she'll never learn magic E. She's never going to learn it. She won't. Um, and just, you know, complaining about how long the fluency sheets take and all those things. So I know both worlds and both are completely normal, and both are so intelligent and bright. Um, but reading is, is usually not supernatural for most students. Okay. Um, but yeah, you just look, one of four repetitions for a gifted student of a, of a word, and it, it helps stick if you're teaching the word with a phonics rule alongside it. Um, four to 14 repetitions for a typical student, 14 to 40 repetitions for a struggling student, and 40 to 200 repetitions for a student with dyslexia or a learning disability. And so, um, and that bottom tier was true for, for my second um, Magic E and just weeks after, you know, still going over the rules, still going over the rules. So, um, all right, that's all from my first portion. Now we are gonna watch a little video that kind of just goes over that phonological awareness fluency. I've been doing quite a bit of reading lately about how children go from being to being able to read and write. Um, and I would highly recommend this professional reading. Hope you can see the labels and want to read out the titles. Um, but uh, basically, let me summarise how that works. So, when kids are very, very tiny, they start learning about speech sounds. Even before they turn one, they're learning about the sounds of our language, and that's their ability to ignore other sounds that are not relevant. And um, so, that continues up into the school years. So, the sound often not learned to use seven, eight, or nine at times. And then they're also learning about vocabulary, they're learning about what a mandarin is, what a spoon is, what a cake is, they're learning about semantics, so they're learning with relationships, they're learning that mandarin is part of fruit, and they're learning that spoon is part of cutlery, and they're learning that cake is part of dessert, not main course. And uh, they're learning syntax, so they're learning how to put words together into sentences. They're learning from um, both talking and reading about adjectives going before the noun in English. And they're learning words from their normal conversations in their family, but also from storybooks where they learn about stuff like lions and stuff that they might not otherwise encounter in their daily life. So they're enriching their vocabulary and learning how to um, create new different types of sentences. And they're also learning about pragmatics, which is how we use language in real conversations and the difference between how we talk about football, how we talk if we go to someone's wedding in a church, and so forth. And then also, preschoolers start to learn, before they go to school, from age three, three and four-year-olds, start to learn this thing called phonological awareness, which is critical to setting them up for being able to read and spell well. So that's the awareness of things like rhyme, with nursery rhymes, um, so that words have a structure. Words um, aren't just sort of lumpy things that don't have any relationship in terms of structure to each other. And so storybooks um, like Greenies and How I Do Not Like That Sound I Am. Um, and also um, the first sounding words, moose for mouse, moose for mummy, and the um, syllables in words. So rhythmic kind of books like, and I'm going on, 
there, learning about that words um, are made up of mouthfuls of sound. And the other thing they're learning um, in preschool is letter knowledge. So starting to recognise those funny squiggles. <laughs> the funny squiggle that looks like this if your name is um, Natasha, you might learn this one first, or if your name is Tucker, you learn this one first, and um, that they represent the sounds and how to pull that first sound off a word and um, notice that all oh, those words start with the same sound. So if you can do all of that before a child goes to school, um, fabulous, and, and consider any time spent talking to your child as an investment in their future literacy because it's tremendously valuable. And some kids start school having heard thousands more words than others. And so if you're a parent, make you keep one of those kids who's heard thousands and thousands of words. Uh, then when they go to school, uh, they've got to learn to read and write. And this is where, instead of just phonological awareness, they've got to start to learn phonemic awareness. Now, phonemic awareness is a subset of phonological awareness. And first, the, the beginners need to learn how to segment words. First of all, just little words, like the word in this little book, um, and they've got to learn how to pull the word apart, listen to it, go, oh, that's got s, oh, that's got ow, oh, that's got mm. It's hardest to hear the inside sounds, and then the beginning one is easier, then the end one, then the middle's are harder, and then gradually be able to segment longer and longer words and be able to hear the stirring and all those sounds in a word like stream, and also be able to put them back together when reading. So segmenting, pulling words apart is important for spelling, be able to put the letters on and then blending is important for reading because then you say the sounds and make the word. Um, and then uh, uh, manipulation comes in later on once you start reading because in English um, we have this complicated orthographic system. We have very, very complicated orthography. Arguably the worst in the world in terms of complexity because English is made of layers of different languages all smooshed together. So we have to learn, it's not just letters, you have to learn graphemes. Now, um, so the, uh, the graphemes in English can be one letter, like that. So this letter can be an O, like in the word not, and it can be an O if the vowel is last, like in the word no. <laughs> and it can be an A, like in the word some, and it can be an U, like in the word do or to. So, this is a multi-purpose symbol. And as well as doing multiple jobs itself, and particularly we don't have enough vowel letters, so our vowels have to work very hard, our vowel letters in English. We also have two letter spellings, like the O in boat. Sometimes we don't have them together, like the O in home. Sometimes we have four letter spellings, like the O in dough and no, which is also a representation of or, like in bought, and owl, like in drought, and so on. We have three letter spellings like these, and also, um, as well as having lots of different graphemes in English, uh, it matters where they're located. So, for example, if I want to write the word like, I use this I, and this K goes with this I. But if I want to write the word lick, I use this K instead of this one. This one signals that's E, and this one signals that's so because we haven't got enough vowel letters, we have to use the ones, the letters next to the vowels to signal whether that's in your eye, for example. And uh, so there's a lot of that. And also, this is the ending spelling. We don't use this at the beginning of words. If I want to write the word kick, I can use that one at the beginning. Because if I put a C there, that would be sick, even that's not the word sick. And C-I is a C-C-I-C-Y, it's a C. And so, um, yeah, there's, there's rules about which letters can go where. So that one only goes after A. As well as that, we have a, a situation which is sometimes good and sometimes not. So this, for example, is an E, typically. But if we want to have the word dream, and then we want to change it into the past tense, dreamt. So it's handy to have this E, A, is an E, and an E. Um, but you have to be able to do the, the phonemic manipulation. You have to be able to take out the E and drop in an F when you read and try the different sounds for that spelling pattern because it's not equal sounds. And you try them out as you go and see what makes sense. Oh, yeah. So that's when you start to kick in your, your spoken language system, not just once your decoding is underway, once you're able to get sounds and letters mapped onto each other. You recognise the letters, you recognise the clumps of letters. Um, and then you have to start using your knowledge of, of, of
spoken language, all the stuff you did as a preschooler, you know, what, word, what makes sense and knowledge of vocabulary um, to be able to understand the text. But without this decoding, you never get off the ground and you're spending you need to never start. The other thing is morphemes. So um, we have a lot of meaningful word parts in English. So for example, job, if we want to make it plural, jobs, it sounds like a zzz, but we don't write z because with English, regular plurals are written with an s. And so for camp, if we want to say it last weekend, I camped at the beach, we don't put, even though that's a soft sound, so that must be a soft sound in our pronunciation rules, camped. But we write it with ed because it's a past tense. This one, kind, when we want to make it into kindly, <laughs> that kind person kindly gave me whatever it was I needed. We don't write e, the, the normal way we write e, or one of the typical beginning um, ways that kids learn to write e. We write it with a line with e like this, because that is an ad, uh, adverbial ending that you uh, It's a thing, it's got a meaning that it carries when you add it to words. And so we have this complex system in English of many, many graphemes, depending how many count, the thing that the A is straight, it only happens in one word, is that a graphene? Um, and where they are in the word, how they combine and what they mean are all part of our orthography. And what we have to do is really bolt these two together and get really fast at all the packet turning uh, spellings into sounds and sounds into spellings. We hijack a little bit of that brain at the back here um, that we normally use for recognising faces and objects. And we hook a bit of our facial recognition task over to the right hemisphere of our brain so that we can take over this part of the brain and use it for converting sounds to letters and letters to sounds. Um, and, and, and doing that incredibly fast, the faster we can do that, the faster we can get to the point where we just see words and them and we don't have to sound them out anymore. And it's called orthographic mapping where they just snap, they just go, you see the word, you know the word. It's pre-cognitive. There is no cognitive load associated with reading anymore. And you can just go ahead and reading is as easy as listening. Um, and that's where you get your really good reading comprehension. Presuming your listening comprehension is good, once you can decode really well, then your reading comprehension will be good as well. Um, now, of course, there are kids whose listening comprehension is poor and that affects their reading comprehension and they should be referred to the school speech pathologist. And the same for kids who have problems with learning speech sounds at the normal rate, then they should be referred to the school speech pathologist for help. Okay, I'm going to stop the video right there. But, um, and then I hope you learned a lot from her. I think she's really great. Uh, and right now we're going to have Lauren Pay. We're going to switch to our practical uh, part of our session, um, what it looks like to do our reading curriculum in kindergarten, first and second. And so we're each going to take about five to ten minutes to go over some great specific things. Lauren? I'm going to go ahead and take this guy off. Can everyone hear me? Awesome. Um, like Marianne said, my name is Lauren Taylor, and this will be my sixth year at Veritas and my sixth year teaching kindergarten. Um, would all of the kindergarten parents this year raise your hands? Um, and then I know this takes bravery, but if you are new this year, will you raise your hand? Awesome. Welcome. We're glad to have you. Um, so, like Marianne said, we just wanted to go over some more great specific parts of how we approach teaching children how to read. Um, so as you can see on my PowerPoint, I'm going to be talking about the multi-sensory approach, our main goals for kindergarten, um, some things that you could be doing at home, and an overview of things that we cover in the year. And this is a very broad overlook. If you guys have any questions, feel free to parents or message me. Um, I don't know, I will ask someone who does. Let's go ahead and get started. Um, I'm going to start with multi-sensory approach. So Marian touched on this a little bit, and so did a couple of the people that did the videos. But multi-sensory approach comes down to our senses. Seeing things, touching things, hearing things, um, and even tasting things sometimes. So um, the more senses that you use to interact with information, the more likely you are to retain that information. So when we're teaching children, letter names, letter sounds, it's important for them to remember. So we're going to use all the tools in our tool bed that we can to get them to retain that information. Um, one example of this that I use a lot in class is saying, 
out loud the strokes of a letter, let's say capital F. So if I was to do that in class, I, a lot of the times, you know we have those cinder block walls in the kindergarten hall, and so I will have them touch the wall or the carpet, because it's bumpy when you're using that tip of your fingertip that has so many little nerve endings on there. And they're touching the ground, and they're watching their finger making the strokes and saying the strokes out loud. So for capital F, it would be straight line down, little line across, little line across. And there might be a frog jump as well, Heather. I'll have to ask you about that later. <laughs> it's been a year. But all that to say, you get the point. I am saying out loud so I can hear the strokes that I'm making. Straight line down, little line across, little line across. I am touching with my fingertip with all those little nerve endings. And I am also watching the letter being formed. It's even better if you have sand or sugar because then they can actually see the imprint left of that letter. Um, another thing that you can do is with Play-Doh, same thing, you can make the letter F, have them roll it out and then go over it. Another example I have, these grids are awesome. I'm pretty sure they're for crocheting. I don't crochet, but I use them in my classroom and I used them in tutoring a lot. Um, Oh, I meant to say as well, I also did the training for art healing here with Marianne and the certification as well. So we're probably going to repeat each other a lot. Um, but this grid was amazing. Um, it's really cool because you can use it just to put your fingertip over and it has those little squares that make it kind of bumpy for the kids to play with. And also, you can put a piece of paper over it and use a crayon and draw letters over it and it makes it bumpy and then they can use their finger to go over that paper with the crayon that's interesting for them too. And you can also put this screen over a piece of paper that has the letter already on it and they can see through it. Anyways, a lot of different things you can do with this. What is that called again? You know, I would look it up as um, a crochet grid. Um, if you crochet, you know what it's for and it's not this. I don't know. But embroidery. See, thank you so much, Sharon. Thank <laughs> you. 
That is our beginning of simple blending and decoding. And we work up from there, obviously. But that's just one tool that I use that seems to be really helpful visually for them, um, especially if it, that left to right isn't quite automatic. Yeah. Um, like I said, we are able to, we're looking for them to be able to blend written letters together to form and read simple, unknown words. The name of the game in kindergarten is simple. We are not expecting, like Marianne said, for them to be reading fluently and beautifully by the time of first grade. I've had students that have been there. That is not always the case. It most likely isn't going to be the case. So just set your expectations correctly so no one's frustrated. Um, we're also going to start beginning to read with expression and for basic comprehension. This is at the end of the year. I'm going to be looking for them to notice exclamation points and question marks. And as they're reading through their basal readers multiple times, I'm going to be looking for them, really looking and seeing and making sure they're reading questions as questions and exclamation points as exclamation points. Um, so at home, what does this mean for you? You can consistently go over the phonics cards that we give you. I know it's not fun all the time. I know it can get boring. I know your kids might say, Mom, why do I have to look at these again? One, is character forming, as John would say. Two, because the more automatic that those letter sounds are for your children, the easier it's going to be for them to blend those sounds to form the words that they don't know yet. If they're sitting there looking at a word and they don't know what the first letter of that word says, it's going to take a little bit and it's going to get frustrating. So doing the legwork of them automatically knowing those letter sounds and really being faithful with that throughout the school year is going to be a huge deal for them in the long run. Um, use multi-sensory techniques whenever possible. Like I said, if you need examples, please feel free to message me. But shaving cream, salt, and little plastic Tupperware works great. Um, using your carpet, using your walls. Um, if you have any like concrete outside, you can do that. Um, just as long as they are seen, they can touch, they can hear, um, even taste with little ones, like preschool especially I've done, um, where their snack starts with a certain letter and they're tasting it, that's one way that I can remember teaching kids, but there's so many different ways that you can get all of the senses involved. Um, one note about basal readers and stories, and like I said, that's just the decodable readers we'll send home. For kindergarten, they're called Run but run, the run pig, and cobweb cat. For first grade, they have different names, but they're all those like little blue books that they're the decodable readers. Read the stories more than once. They're practicing their fluency. The more they read it, the more they're going to be able to read it a little bit faster. And as they read it a little bit faster, they're going to understand a little bit more. And they're going to be able to pick up on those little cues like an exclamation point or a question mark. And just practice makes progress. We're not looking for perfection, especially not in kindergarten, but we are looking for them to be able to work on those skills, and that's going to be the number one way for you guys to do it throughout the year. Um, take breaks, gamify it when you can, and by that I just mean make it fun. There's so many different ways that you can do that, especially with um, fluency sheets as the year goes on. They're going to be a little bit overwhelming, potentially. Um, I've had teachers and students or parents use hopscotch, they would write the words on little note cards and they would have their student actually hop from word to word or they would play find a word around the room, they'd tape it up around the, their living room and say, okay, go and find the word was, and they'd have like a magnifying glass and go look for the word. You don't have to do that all the time, but if you're having a particularly hard time with your student, the more that you can make it fun and interesting and gamify it a little bit, it might save your sanity and theirs. Um, and taking breaks and breaking things up throughout the day does not mean you're a failure. If anything, it means you're using your time wisely. Please feel free to take a break. Um, I wouldn't go more than 20 minutes on any subject without taking a break. And if you have to break up one subject, like reading, do it. Because I know, at least in my classroom, with my five-year-olds in my classroom, they're not going to be paying attention to anything I'm saying for more than 15 to 20 minutes, especially at the beginning of the year. So just like I said, go in with those expectations. Um, overview of things that we cover. Phonological awareness. It's a big topic. I'm not going to try and 
explain it to you again. But basically, just knowing how words work and being able to play with those sounds, beginning sounds, ending sounds. That starts preschool, goes through K through second. Um, long and short vowel sounds. So Marianne brought these in. They're super cool. I love this visual. It's so cool. But for open and closed um, syllables and long and short vowels, I know I might be speaking a foreign language to some of you, and I'm so sorry for that. But basically, this is the word when. I open the door. This is the word we. When a vowel ends a word, it has a long vowel sound. It says its name. And I love, I love these visuals because they can play with them, they can move them, they can practice them, and they're, it's kind of like a game for them too, so it's a win-win. So we talk about that a little bit more um, towards the end of the year. Uh, H Brothers, so this is really talk, the beginning of digraphs for us. And all a digraph is are two letters squished together to make one sound. That's my definition for my kindergartners. I'm sure there's a more technical definition. But things like TH, and B, I can't motion, sorry. SH says SH, and CH says CH. He's holding a train. The other train says CH, CH, CH. Those visuals are great for five-year-olds and six-year-olds. I'm just saying, I'm probably seven and eight-year-olds, but I've never taught that high. So, all right. We did long, short vowels, vocals, blends. So all a blend is, or Two sounds squished together, and you say them really close together, like blah, blah, that BL. There's a blend in blend. There's actually two, that ND at the end is ND. So we get talking about that a little bit. And compound words is kind of our stepping stone into syllable division at the end of the year. So we don't actually get into syllable division, but we say, wow, that's a big word. And they say sunset, and they freak out because they're like, oh my gosh, that's a lot of letters. I'm used to saying like three or four. I'm like, yeah, but do you know there's two words in that one word? It freaks them out. <laughs> we break it in half, and I say, hey, can you figure that word out at the beginning? They're like, yeah, that's sun. And I say, okay, can you figure out that word at the end? And they're like, yeah, I think that's set. And I put it together, sunset. It's like my drop will freak out. Watch the video, that's great. <laughs> I'm just saying. These are just tools in their tool belt. This is the foundation. And it, it's honestly so much fun. And there's going to be days that are hard, probably in February, because that's what everyone says, and I agree with them. But the more that you work on these tools in their tool belt, the easier it's going to be in the long run. And the hard work that you put in at the beginning matters all the way through. And if they can't read well in kindergarten in the first and second grade, Reading a science textbook in middle school is going to be like pulling your hair out, and I don't want that for you, and I don't want that for them. So, thank you so much for listening, and please message me if you have any questions. Marianne's going to go ahead and talk about first grade now. Okay. I'll see if I can hold this mic and um, move around like Lauren did. Okay. Um, in first grade, I'm going to go over things we cover. We do start off with blends, um, beginning blends, ending blends, and then we move right into magic ease. So, sorry if you can't see the letter vowels. Well, I know the reflection, but this is cut, and when we add our magic silent E, it's cute. And if this is kit, and when we add our magic silent E, it's kind. Yeah. Okay, and then we go over um, our leap words, and those are words that are the outliers or the irregular spelling, but this is actually not an irregular word. Um, in kindergarten, they learned that he says and And for B, um, we heard the hard sound of TH, and then they also learned that E at the end of the word would say its name and O is so cool. Um, and so, but they're going to need to read this word in the field of people readers before they learn about open syllables. So it would be a leap word, and to make that a multi-sensory um, little lesson, we would tap it out a few times. We would say T-H-E-D, T-H-E-D, and we would stop it and say T-H-E-D, you know, just little activities to make it and try to help them remember the spelling and the word. Um, and then we go 
to locate the vowels and label those. And then they just draw a little vowel bridge. And how many consonants are on my vowel bridge? Oh, there's two. That looks like it's going to follow pattern number one. And so we know when it's BCCB, we just do our syllable wall right there. Oh, I can see my vowels closed in on the first syllable. That one's a closed syllable. Same with my second syllable. And now we can sound them out because we know in a closed syllable, the vowel's short. And so I'll just get them to put both them together, kitten. Okay, over here, I think I've got syllable pattern number two. So we start off with labeling our vowels, do our vowel bridge. There's only one consonant. Where are we going to divide? Okay, so I would say, hmm, let's make the first syllable closed. Hot L. Has anyone ever heard of that? That's not a real word. Let's try it this way. Okay, this makes more sense. This one's open, and so it's going to say hotel. This one's closed, and we would do that right there for pattern number two. And so I do, I have just a little picture of our patterns, and they have to tell me which pattern when they divide a word. Um, and to name their syllable types. So here we've got our um, pattern number three where the first syllable closed and this one's closed, Robin. And then number four they actually learn in second grade, but when the two vowels are together and they're not a vowel team working together, we do that right down the middle. This one's open and closed, so we get lion. Um, and then this one's number six. This is also learned in second grade, but it's called the pickle syllable or consonant LE. When you see a consonant plus LE at the end, you just count back one, two, three, and divide. And this syllable type, can anyone guess what it is? Number five is false ER or R control syllable. And then this one is consonant plus LE. So they'll learn that in second grade. But those are um, just some different syllable types. This one is a fun word. Um, B, C, consonant, break it down. And this one is a vowel team. So we can sound that out, B. And then this one is our magic E syllable type. That E's making our say its name. So um, we just have a lot of fun um, doing our syllable division, learning the different patterns and syllable types. And that's, yeah, that's some of what we cover in first grade morphology, um, learning about suffixes, etymology, um, where words stem from. Oh, so when we did the, I would also just look up that and the is from Old English. So, um, and then why is a vowel? Uh, and I love that our, my kinder, our first graders come to me having learned all the vowel sounds. So for A, 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 and Y, Y, N, I, E, the four sounds. So they're ready to decode words. Um, and so just to build fluency, build in time to model fluency and intonation for them by reading tons of story pictures, poetry, and margarita vowels. That's just built into our very fast curriculum. You're just going to be reading to your kids all the time, so they're going to get that. Um, and then the essence of fluency is not simply reading speed or oral reading expression, but the ability to decode and comprehend at the same time. So, um, you want to take it over, Shani? <laughs> Okay. Um, hi, I'm Maddie Wartman. I'm a second grade teacher here at Veritas. Last year was my first year. Um, I had a baby like right after the first day of school, so it was a funny year. I'm really enjoying being here this year. So um, I am going to talk just a little bit about second grade. I don't have all of the cute handouts and activities that K-5 and first do, but that's because by the time they get to second grade, we really want those little practices that they do, um, you know, learning their blends, learning all of their consonant vowel sounds. We want all of that to come together by second grade so that really we're just practicing fluency and confidence, getting them ready to run in third. So I like to say we're skipping in second, we're not walking, we're not running yet. It's kind of a good intermediate um, level. So we're finessing, decoding words, building on their background knowledge that they have from previous years in school, previous lessons that they've been taught. Um, we talk a little bit about figurative language. We're going to be focusing a lot on that this year. So 
not just practicing like how to read the exact word, but then even taking the word or the words that are being strung together in a phrase and talking about the meaning behind those. So we're really developing comprehension a little bit more in second. Um, and then narration, narration, narration. We're doing a lot of that in class. We have them doing a lot of it at home. Um, and our expectation is that students are practicing those abilities to narrate at home thoroughly and accurately. So we practice all those things. Um, at home, one of the things I would say is that it's just so, so, so important um, that students are not just reading um, to themselves at home, but that they are reading out loud. That's the only way that you can actually hear how they're doing. It's the only way that we can hear how they're doing. Um, and very often, sometimes kids will come in and we'll be doing a little um, like leveling assessment with them just to pulse check their reading. And if we notice that they're stumbling a lot or that they're misreading words or things like that, that's gonna flag it for us. Even if at home, when they're sitting in their bed reading during their reading time, they look like they're doing a great job <laughs> reading silently we're checking for accuracy too. So I would say make sure, and this doesn't just go for second grade, this is for all grades, but letting them practice reading out loud, whether that's to a stuffed animal, to a little sibling or an older sibling, to you, to a grandparent, um, you know, anything like that, getting them to read out loud, that's really, really important as well. Um, we cover blends, just reviewing all the blends that they've learned in K-5 and first, talk about those. Syllable division rules, we have a couple more that we add on in second grade, but for the most part, it's just a really good review of everything to take into third. Um, open and closed syllables, we talk about silent E. Um, compound words, bossy R. And then one thing that we delve into as well is prefixes and suffixes. So again, we're not just um, decoding the word, but we're also getting into how does the prefix or the suffix change the meaning of the word, of that base word that we see. So those are all things that we talk about. Um, really quickly, I'm just gonna breeze through this. How many of y'all, either you went to public school or you've had kids in public school before or they were at a school prior to Veritas? Can I have a show of hands just for, okay. So um, this speaks very directly to me because I taught public school for six years. So it was a very different way of teaching reading than what we do here at Veritas. Um, there's something that we see in a lot of other schooling um, environments that is called predictable texts. We're going to talk about why those are not the best to use for reading instruction. We focus on decodable text here because it's part of that science of reading. We're trying to teach students basically how to crack a code, how to decode their words, find the patterns, and use those to help them be able to read the words on the page. Um, so this is an example of a decodable text page. So when you read it, it says, Red Ted was sad. Red Ted met a fat hen. Red Ted met a pig in a pen. Um, so with decodable text, one of the first things that you can kind of see and tell is that they're sequential, um, and they take on basic phonemic patterns. We're not introducing anything crazy to them that they have not explicitly been taught yet. Um, and that's a really big part that you'll see is different about decodable versus predictable text. Um, beginner books contain words that have basic vowel consonant or consonant vowel consonant words and patterns. Um, and they will build upon those, but that helps to build that confidence because students have learned those patterns. They know what to expect. They know how to follow the rules for those patterns. Um, and then decodable texts are actually shown to have just as beneficial of an impact on students' vocabulary as predictable texts. Sometimes the mis, um, misnomer, not misnomer, but the incorrect notion is that um, predictable texts, you're being introduced to bigger words, so it's helping your vocabulary, but really what we see is that decodable texts have just as much positive impact on vocab, if not more, because students are actually able to read what's on the page. Um, so this is a video, I'm gonna play like two minutes of it, <laughs> just two minutes, but just to kind of show you what I'm talking about, what specifically I mean when I say predictable texts, um, and she'll kind of explain that for you. Um, and her teacher has been focusing on these, which are the most common letters in English. So 
So she's learned so far one sound for each of these letters. She's learned and of and and um, she hasn't learned other sounds that these letters can represent. So she hasn't learned the A in cafe or the E in B or the um, you know the uh, um, I in want or the R in front or the I in high the E in ski. She hasn't learned her in bird or or in four or R in car her in her or sh. Um, but you know she's making a start. She's you know recognition of symbols um, for some children can take a bit of work. Now. Um, the books that she's taking home to read at home for um, each night and that her parents are faithfully reading with her. These are not actually, these are example books that I've made up using Google Images, copyright free images, thank you to the lovely photographers. Um, because I didn't want to use someone's published book on my website, so I don't want to get across with me for saying things they didn't agree about them. And uh, so we're going to have a look at this um, type of book. Um, and if you have a child that has used these kind of books before, you'll recognise the formula. Uh, have a look at it from the literary adult's point of view and then we're going to have a look at it from her point of view. So here's the first book at the park. So it's about an interesting topic for children. Um, it's got nice pictures, um, something familiar. Uh, I see a slide, I see a swing. So the sentences are not long, not a lot of words, nice big print. I see a seesaw, I see a climbing frame. I see a tree, I see a dog, I see a magpie, I see a frisbee, I see a football, I see people at the park. So that should be pretty easy for beginners, yeah, you think? Uh, 33 phoneme graphene correspondences. Now, her little girl only knows 10, but she's very encouraged to look at the picture, look at the first letters, think of what might make sense, and have a go at reading this book, regardless that it's got so many spellings in it she doesn't know. Also, there's quite a bit of syllable complexity. So, vowel or consonant, VC is a vowel consonant word, so at, for example, or up. Um, consonant vowel would be like two, or you know, words that, yeah, anyway. So they get longer and longer. There's quite a lot of long words with some consonant blends. Okay. So that was an example of a predictable text, and so you can already kind of see why. If our goal is to teach them very basic patterns starting out, I'm not going to give that book to a K-5 or a first grader who doesn't know how to sound out all of the words on those, page, uh, on those pages and knows all of the rules for how to sound out all of those words. That's not good instruction. And really what that's doing is teaching students to use context clues to guess on what they think the words are which that's not reading, that's guessing. So this is an example of a decodable text. And so you can see over on the left side, the hen, the dog, and the pig. Um, that is our little reading portion that is given. On the right-hand side, those are all the skills that are being covered. You'll notice, too, they're all very basic skills. So short vowel phonemes, graphic phoneme correspondences with those um, consonant letters, three-letter words, single-syllable words, one, two, and three-letter words with simple consonant vowel consonant structure. Again, the goal is simple. We would say that that's a great way to start. This is an example of a predictable text. Ooh, hold on. There we go. So, when you look at the left-hand side at first, it looks like it would make sense. They all start with this is a, and they all end with the word dog, but look at all of those adjectives describing the dog. You've got big, small, black, white, clean, dirty, sad, happy. Some of those are really big words. Some of those have really unique blends to them or unique sounds to them that if you've not explicitly taught them, your student is not gonna know how to read them. And if you look on the right-hand side, you can see how complicated those skills are that are being covered. And so that's honestly why I think a lot of students are struggling reading nowadays. They're being taught to guess, and they're looking at pictures, and they might know what's on the picture, but it's not accurately reading the words. And so that's one of the things that we really strive for here at Veritas, is making sure that we are teaching students that science of how to read, how to sound out each letter, each blend, splitting up those syllables, and all of that can work towards being a more accurate and fluent reader. Yes? Uh, I just want to ask a question. I have, I have one that just finished kindergarten. Yeah. And last year, we had a lot of frustration with book buddies mm -hmm. because I felt like we were doing what you're saying is not as good. 
Um, she, she We're not doing book, book buddies. Specifically for kindergarten. I'm sorry, Maddie. I didn't no, no, no. Between the fanatical approach and the book buddy approach. So I just want to add something. Yeah, 100%. We're on our uh, I, I will let them answer that. We're primarily going to be using the basal readers because they typically have two stories. We'll send the additional story home. But where you? We do do them in second grade. Um, but I think first grade, you said later on you use? Okay, yeah. By the time that we hit second grade, our goal is that they should be able to find books that are on their level and take them home. When I take my kids to library, if I see that some of them are picking up this massive fifth grade chapter book, I might have some questions, but the, the goal is really giving them some of that ownership, but also knowing that they're in a better spot to kind of realize what they can read versus what's too hard. So we're kind of releasing some of that responsibility to them. Well, does anyone have any more questions? You guys good? Okay, on, yes. I just had a quick question. So for the friends who want to just remember the word mm -hmm. you know like they just that's how their brain works how would you encourage them to break it down even more i don't know like yeah just going through those letters down relationships yes, yes yes um like just being able to touch like act that being able to blend it and this really helps make it a sight word instead of just flashcards, you know? like, And then they'll internalize it and be able to apply it to other words um, for that orthographic mapping. But um, yeah, I would have your child touch the letters and say the sounds and blend it. Do you provide the or you said orthographic mapping? Mm -hmm. Or do you just say make, it up, make your own little version at home? Like is, that a, is there a PDF, is that download? For the three, the one, two, three that you just held up. Oh, oh. wasn't that we were just holding up? Lauren did that one. Mm -hmm. I thought you just held up too. So. Oh, it goes absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> this is yeah. Fun. So if a child in my class does need more support, I would send these home okay. with, um, yeah, for their mom to use at home too, instead of just the flashcard with the black text. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if anyone wants the one, two, three, it's on a PDF. I'm happy to send it to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yes. I've been trying to find more books that are, uh, like, the decodable. Mm -hmm. But, like, I, is there any resource? Like, yeah. I read more, but I, all I can find are those books. Yes. Like, this is level one, but it has books in it. Yeah, more and more coming to the market. I always suggest Bob books at first, but once you fly through those, I sent some to my friend Kara, and she did not love them. So I'll trust that one story. Yeah, I need to get some more resources so I can look into that. And if you'll email me, um, I can send some that I think are. I was just my little insight. Maybe it's review it over and over and over through the year and then they'll review it again in first grade and second grade so it really is a great program and if you are learning these rules um reading rules i've learned i did not learn this in college <laughs> yeah so um my first school i ever taught out was Ridge christian academy and it was also a classical school and they taught phonics in this way but i had to ask my peers so many questions well tell me again about the, all the silent E rules that you know. Um, and then I didn't learn the syllable division rules until we started at Veritas um, and the all about reading. So don't feel bad if you're learning them along with your child. It does make reading, um, I feel like, a lot more fun and 
our language make a lot more sense. So, um, But yeah, there's resources on those handouts and some of our favorite quotes, um, some encouragement from moms, some veteran moms from Veritas about just teaching their children to read at home. So please look over those. Email us if you have us any more questions. Um, and then just again, that daily reading practice, even if you can only fit in five minutes, 10 minutes, it's so worth it to do it daily, to have your kids read aloud and you be active listeners. And again, you um, take turns reading with them and model the fluent reading for them. So that's my biggest advice, is just the daily practice of letting them read aloud. Because it is a muscle, it's gotta be um, practiced over and over. Thank you guys so much for coming.